Welcome to the Solar Insights Podcast, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We're going to talk some suns, and we're going to talk some rebuilding. I've got my guest here, Gerald Bourget from Hoops Habit. How are you doing, Gerald? Pretty good, Eric. How about you? Doing fantastic. It's a, The weather's kind of turning nice almost in Arizona, at least for those who don't live here. It's already been nice for a while. Usually 110 is where it starts getting hot for us natives, but we are getting towards the basketball season. It's, we've got a couple more weeks left till the opening night. When everything starts, um, it's it's real. Are you excited? Oh, I'm absolutely excited. The weather's cooling down, and uh, ironically enough, the suns are coming back. So, always always room to be excited at this time of year. Well, we always wanted to get a, a kind of a perspective from all of our guests. So, what do you what do you think of how the season ended last year, and then the off season, the draft, and as such? Um. The way the season ended last year was uh, not. So, I mean, as soon as Bledsoe went down in December, everyone pretty much knew that the season was over for the Suns, and uh, it wasn't pretty down the stretch. You know, there was the whole Marquise Morris drama. There was Jeff Hornacek getting fired. There were towels being thrown. Um, but out of all that chaos, kind of came a few positives. Uh, one of which was obviously Devin Booker the other a high draft pick um and in the off season i think the suns did a really good job of resituating themselves kind of looking themselves in the mirror and accepting that you know what maybe we're not a team that's going to make the playoffs just yet maybe we need to uh, and and they did a great job in the draft of you know they got the youngest player in the draft the fourth youngest i think with marquise chris um, another promising backup point guard, Tyler Eulis, and then they brought in some veteran free agents like Jared Dudley and Leandro Barbosa to kind of uh, coach the younger guys up so Tyson Chandler wasn't taking on that duty all by himself. Um, so it, w- it was definitely a step in the right direction for a franchise that's been trying unsuccessfully to build from the middle up for the last few years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, last year for sure. I mean, there were times when Archer Goodwin was playing point guard, something he should never do. And they just, I mean, they had Warren was out, which people seem to for- keep forgetting. And just many things where it just wasn't right, which is why the over-under just seems kind of ridiculous. Like, they're not going to be that bad again. They had... Brandon Knight, Bledsoe, Morris out for other reasons, and Warren, like their top four scorers for most of the year. So it really was a lost season, though, like you said, the right side is Devin Booker. So let's get into this rookie playing time. We've got Bender, we've got Chris, and and Ulis. And one thing that we need to really figure out, well, one thing that Watson needs to figure out, and we're going to speculate on, is kind of how are they going to be worked in? What is your philosophy on that? Right. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds because, you know, the Suns could go with a starting lineup of, you know, Bledsoe, Booker, uh, Tucker once he's back, um, Dudley at the four, and then Tyson Chandler at the five. And that, that's a lineup with a lot of experience, a lot of talent. Um, that's kind of putting their best foot forward, as you would say. That's That's the kind of team that you know, entering last season, we would have expected to compete for a playoff spot. Um, given given how Bledsoe and Knight and a couple of other guys on this roster have had problems staying healthy, though, 
it's uh, it's tough to say at the start of the season how much playing time they'll get. I think that Bender is going to be more of a project than people realize. Um, Chris has looked good in the preseason so far. He's brought a lot of energy. He's looked comfortable. He hasn't backed down from anyone. I think he... Uh, was it he shoved to the ground the other night? Um, oh, it was Bogut. He shoved Bogut, Bogut to the ground the other night. So that's Bogut. <laughs> yeah, you're not afraid of anybody. Um, and I think that's going to translate to steadier minutes from him at the start. And uh, as the season progresses, I think you'll see, you know, if the losses start piling up, you will definitely see their minutes go up, as, you know, as is the case with any team that kind of realizes that they're not going to make the playoffs. Definitely. I mean, I was in the in the preseason. Chris has really um, impressed me. I was kind of down on him. I had kind of heard from my quote unquote sources that I that he may be. He had a very high range of wide range of outcomes. At least he could have been. He could be good, but he was a project, and so he's really showing me that he has changed. I mean, he even though his projection was when he was in college, he seems to be his his shot. I mean, was that the, I think it was the second Jazz preseason game that I saw where he made three threes, and it looks very smooth. And his ability to, his athleticism we knew about, but if he can keep locked in on help defense and really maybe even become, not a playmaker, but pass the ball, rebound better than people thought he could, he could really make an impact. Though, I am of the mind that Dudley should be starting until it's just unfathomable that he shouldn't. Like, until Chris is shown that he, or Bender, I guess, is shown that they have to start, Dudley should start. We, there's no reason to throw Chris in the deep end against these, against absolutely, like, Paul Millsap. Like, he's going to get destroyed by Paul Millsap. He's going to get destroyed by any above-average power forward. And that wouldn't be good for his confidence and things like that. First drafted two power forwards with you know the fourth pick and then the eighth pick, which is what they traded up for. Um, a lot of people were excited about the prospect of that kind of like baptismal by fire type thing. Um, but then the Suns went out and brought Dudley in, and that was a clear indicator that okay, we're not gonna you know just throw them in the deep end and let them try and see if they can stay afloat. Uh, we're going to give them some structure. We're going to give them a veteran who they can look up to on and off the court. He's going to be able to teach them things on both ends of the floor as far as spreading the floor, um, being a good defender, just all the habits it takes to last in this league, um, just things like that. So I, I think the Suns acknowledge their future. You know, They know that Bender and Chris and Booker and those guys are the foundations um, but you don't get there without providing them, you know, solid influences that will help them reach their full potential in the first place. Definitely. I also really liked the fact that they packed for Chris because I was worried that they were going to have too much, quote unquote, non-consolidation of, of assets, just like the Celtics did. And it didn't work out for them in the same draft. So taking, what was it, the the 28th pick and Bogdanovich, and the 13th pick for the 8th pick is a really good thing. Really, if you can ever do a deal with the Kings, you do it because you're going to get, while this one seemed like a good deal for both sides, you're going to get the better of the deal. You're going to get a good deal for yourself if you trade with the Kings or the Knicks for that matter. <laughs> right. And, and I think it's, uh, 
I think it's going to be interesting to see at the start of the season which one of those two gets more minutes and at what position because the Suns have touted both guys as players who can play multiple positions and, uh, you know, most notably of which is their insistence that Bender can play the three, um, which I'm not sold on at all. But um, it's going to be interesting because Tucker is trying to come back from the start of the season um, this was Warren's opportunity to put, get some starting minutes at the three, and then there's Bender who could play the three, they could plug him at the four, they could even play him at the five um, behind Len and Chandler on some nights if there's foul trouble or whatever. Um, but, but I'm curious, what position would you like to see them play at to start the season? Well, depending on, I mean, starting the season, like, okay, so... If you're playing, so let's just assume that they're playing on the second unit because with with Knight and with a uh, Goodwin or Barbosa or Ulis. So let's, I think, and Warren. So they have to play the four, the five. I'm hoping they play. I mean, it'd be interesting to see a Len. Well, it's it's a crazy huge lineup, but Len at the five, and then I guess technically by size, Bender at the four. And Chris at the three, because if Chris can shoot that well, it's better. But it, it really only matters. I think technically, like they're both playing the four, but it only matters who can guard threes better. And I think while we, while we kind of may think that's better, it may be Chris, whoever, and or who can guard fours better, who's better physically down the block. And basically, that I think the defense will determine what spot they technically are playing, though. Playing them together is is pretty interesting, but they're just they're kind of the same player in a sense, but not really. I did want to. I have one thing I'm trying to do with my blog here is my site is to really have a prediction central. I had me and Troy did a whole MVP everything, and I'm gonna. So I wanted to get one from you. Um, let's let's try to have a prediction here of how who will start the most or who will play the most minutes between Bender or Chris. For the uh, before Christmas, which one do you think? Um, I'm gonna go with Chris. He looks like the more NBA ready product. Um, I think that you know at the four he's going to get minutes over Bender off the bench behind Dudley. Um, and I think that if they try to play Bender at the three, well then they've got Warren and Tucker there. If they try to play him at the five, which is where I hope his true position emerges they've still got Chandler and Len there so I think the obstacles to Bender's playing time are, are a bit more substantial than Chris at this point I agree with that we'll mark that down and we'll see what happens and I do think that Bender should I mean well he's not as maybe as good as Chris Apps Porzingis but I think he should model his game in the same sense mm-hmm. so that's you know he's a seven foot one guy um, the prospect of him being a three is you know tantalizing and all and he does have the foot speed I think so to survive out there on defense but I feel like they're they wouldn't be tapping into his full potential if they didn't use that playmaking at the five or the four spot at least yeah I agree because I mean like people have this like view of these tall guys with all the foot speed but like he's not Giannis at Kumpo and he's not Kevin Durant he's not like somebody who should be a point guard who isn't He's looked very uh, indecisive at times. Um, he's obviously he obviously needs to get stronger to be able to bang in the paint down low with those bigger guys. Um, 
So I, I think for him, it's it's going to be more of a long term thing, and that's okay. You know, he's going to struggle this year. Chris will too, um, and and it'll probably look bad for Bender because Chris is going to have a little more success. But I think um, it's one of those things that's going to take more time. You know, he's the youngest player in the league, so you got to give him the benefit of the doubt on that one. Definitely. Also, I think like you're, it's a, it's kind of a scarcity thing. It's harder to find a seven foot center that's that that's that skilled and finesse but it's easier to find a six seven small forward that can play do all the things that you want him to do defend and such right so let's um let's talk about you said we have the youngest players they have like you said the first and fourth youngest i would about youngest players from this draft and then booker is the youngest player from last draft so they have a lot of young players and like you said they have engrafted they've grafted in some some veterans of varying ages that are not—they're not the oldest, but they're—they're they're not young. In in Dudley and Barbosa and Chandler, I believe around thirty-three for thirty-three for Barbosa and Chandler, and thirty-ish for uh, Dudley. And so, one question that I've been running into, and we've both run into on Twitter, is people wanting them to just play their young guys. Don't play. Don't play Dudley. Don't play Barbosa. Don't play. Don't even play Bledsoe, even though he's what twenty six, and just make him get get worse, and let's get another good pick. Now, my problem with that is that then you're kind of starting to get the mindset. Obviously, we're not going full Philly here, full uh, hinky, but we're like that's kind of not the point of basketball. And I think we're you're ending up you're going to do detrimental. This, I mean, this is not what Watson's doing. He obviously is doing the opposite of this, but. Because he's, we're going forward, momentum one percent better every day. But it's like if you do that and you you quote unquote tank for this next pick, this next in 2017, the summer or something like that, you're going to be messing up the confidence or messing up the mindset of these players. And again, you can only have so many roster spots and so many young players on your team before you start being horrible. Right, and, and I think it's important to recognize that. Um, you know, suggesting that the Suns don't play Dudley or that they don't play Bledsoe is just unrealistic. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, I think it's also important to note, though, that the Suns, you know, the game that they lost Bledsoe to Philly, um, the Suns were 12-19 and 19 at that point. They fell to 12-20 and 20 when Bledsoe went down. So their season was already kind of unraveling. Um, it was starting to look like maybe they just didn't have enough talent to be the team that people thought they were. And now that they have these younger guys, when the losses start piling up, I think you'll see Watson and the front office grow more comfortable with giving the lion's share of the minutes to the younger guys. You know, they're not going to start from day one other than Booker, who has, you know, earned his keep. He's earned that spot. Um, you're going to see an interesting balance between playing those veterans and playing the younger guys. And I think at the start of the season, it's going to skew more towards being competitive, um, trying to build more of a winning culture that the younger guys can slowly dip their toes in the water there. And then if the losses start piling up again, if Bledsoe gets hurt, if Knight gets hurt, as they've been prone to do over the last couple seasons, um, then you're going to see that full-scale transition to, okay, well, we're losing. Let's give the young guys some minutes. Let's uh, let's mix up the rotation a little bit. 
if they went full quote unquote rebuild or whatever, if they went this way you're talking about, what do you think that would look like? Um, well, you know, I, I think they're they're getting pretty close to that point. I think what they want to see is something that kind of happened with Minnesota over the last few years is, you know, guys like Kevin Martin and Nikola Pekovic, they were slowly phased out as these younger counterparts, you know, they, they were clearly the future from the start, but then they started to outplay their older counterparts and they started getting those minutes and then you know the wolves they got rid of uh martin they're you know they've been trying to do the same with Pekovic, but the poor guy can't stay healthy um so i think that similar kind of thing could happen there and brandon knight is obviously a prime candidate for that he's already been um sort of reduced to a six-man role if he embraces it great the suns will be a better team for it because that's kind of his destiny in this league but if not you know the trade rumors are going to come back up again. Um, Tyson Chandler is another player who, you know, he's a useful veteran presence. And when he's healthy, he's still, uh, you know, an average center in this league. But he's also going to impede Alex Len's progress. He's going to impede Dragon Benders down the line. Um, so I feel like if they were going to go all in on a sort of tanking type thing, trading a couple of players would, would be the way to start. And that's the interesting. You know, you mentioned that like Chandler will impede Lens, Lens, um, in progress. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true because we're not giving you're not giving Lens 35 minutes a game anyway. So it's like, does does Chandler taking 20 minutes of those? Does it really impede him? Like, so I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily buy into this whole. Let's trade away all their because you can't if you trade them away or you relegate them too much. Then they're then you're just a young team who has nowhere to go and no one to teach, well on the court, and it's like I kind of get it, but it's some some I'm, I'm kind of dubious about going a full youth movement. Obviously, the Timberwolves are the prototype of what you want to do, but I, I'm I'm here's a question: you're not you're not saying that it'll be eventually the start if if everything goes bad, it's not going to be a starting lineup of Ulis, Booker, Warren, Chris, Bender, and Len, right? Um. Well, I mean, if everything goes bad, there's no reason not to put those players in there. Like, there's no reason if it's February, March, and the team's way out of playoff contention, there'd be no reason to keep starting Chandler. There'd be no reason to um, keep starting Tucker, especially because, you know, coming into last season, we were already speculating whether Warren was ready to take Tucker's starting job. Um, I, I feel like at that point, there will probably be some injuries. I mean, every team's injured around that time of year. Um, I, I don't think that trading those players right off the bat is the way to go. I don't think that the Suns are planning on doing that. But, yeah, you know, if it's, if it's February and March, the, young, the more minutes should go to the younger guys because they're essentially playing for develop. I mean, it's the same thing we saw last year with, with Len and Booker taking on such large roles and a lot of that had to do with injuries but you know in, in the home stretch of a lost season if that's what this year turns out to be then yeah the, the lion's share should go to the younger players who have more future because at, at some point the Suns are going to have to trade Titus and Chandler they're going to have to um, you know see what they have with Len because every year 
his starting job has been complicated by something else. His rookie season, it was injuries. Sophomore season, it was uh, injuries and Miles Plumley coming out of nowhere to be a quality center. Um, and then last year, it was Tyson Chandler arriving. Like, this is kind of a big year for Glenn, especially since he's eligible for a contract extension and hits restricted free agency next year. They really need to get an extended look and decide whether or not he can be a franchise starting center or whether they need to turn their sights elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. And I'm thinking that he is, I'm losing this, the, I still think he has lots of flashes and really good, but I don't know if he's going to end up being consistent enough to be a top five, top 10 center in the league ever. I've kind of lost my faith on his potential. Right. And, and I don't think with Len that that's, I don't think, you know, if the Suns can get an average defensive center out of him, someone who will alter shots, who will kind of anchor the defense, you know, they can deal with him being a league average center as long as he does those things. Um, they, they don't need a superstar out of him. They don't need a franchise player. They just kind of need him to tap into the, the kind of potential that we've seen from him as far as, you know, spreading the floor from the mid-range blocking a couple shots, putting up a monster double-double every now and then like he did last year. Um, those are the kinds of things they need to see from him, especially because down the stretch of last year when he was in the starting job and when the offense kind of ran through him for a couple of weeks, he got really tired. He got wound, you know, wore down, and uh, his efficiency suffered for it. He shot around like 42%, and that's just not what you want to see out of a starting center. So he's... He's got a lot to prove this year, and I think if he doesn't overtake Chandler in the starting lineup, then that's going to be a pretty good indicator of what his potential looks like. Definitely. So here's another prediction for you. Um, what month do you pick for Warren to pass Tucker? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say... It's hard to say because I, I'm not sure when he'll be back with the back injury and if the Suns will ease him into it, um, how competitive he'll be. Because Warren did say, or uh, Watson did say at uh, at training camp that, you know, once Tucker gets back, we'll cross that bridge about who starts between him and Warren and we'll have another positional battle. So he's open to the idea of Warren starting over Tucker. Um, I'm going to guess December to play it safe in the middle of the season somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to pick January, and we'll mark that down. We'll see how that goes. I've always I've always said that I'd kind of rather Warren start, but what has to happen is Tucker has to be in there in the fourth quarter in closing games because he is the master of all defensive rebounds and offensive rebounds when you need them in the fourth quarter. Oh, yeah. He is. He brings the heart. He's the heart and soul of the team. And it's going to be interesting to see between him and Jared Dudley who wins the uh, Marley Hustle Award this year. Oh, yeah, they're going to have to duke it out over that. They're basically the only two people who have ever won it. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't know. That's going to be an interesting pick. Who, who do you think is going to win it? Oof, that's a tough one. I'm probably going to go with um, gonna go with Tucker. I think they have like six or seven combined Dan Marley Awards between them. But uh, I'm going to go with the, the slightly... Ah, man, that's a tough one. But I feel like Dudley's going to fill more of that veteran, like, sage kind of role for the youngsters as opposed to Tucker, who's just going to go out there and give it 110% every night. 
Yeah, I think I, I think that yeah, Dudley's the more mentor, a cerebral guy who's going to help really give. He he's going to be the glue guy. He's going to help keep everybody together and make sure on the court they're passing right and defensiveness. And and Tucker is going to be the bulldog as he always has been. Okay, so let's take a look at some more. Oh, here's one thing. So on my debut episode, Tim Bontemps from the Washington Post was on. And uh, we talked, and he was quite sure that the best lineup for the Suns included Bledsoe, Knight, and Tuck- or Bledsoe, Knight, and Booker all together on the court. And I was thinking that, I've, as I've said, I think Espo has said as well with me, that Booker might... Well, he'll he'll probably he, Espo says that Booker will play more of the small forward than we think, and I'm thinking that Booker will play small forward a lot more, maybe even primarily in like two years when he's like mature physically and ready to do it. Um, and then that and that Tim Bontemps was saying that the only way for them to compete is to go small, to play those three guards together, and to really outshoot and outspeed the other team. What do you th- What do you think? Um, on the offensive end, that definitely makes sense. Um, I feel like a Bledsoe Knight Booker attack at its best would be, you know, really hard to stop, especially with the progress that we've seen from Booker over the last couple months, whether it be summer league, preseason, um, playing with the USA Select team, whatever you want to call it. Um, the problem on the defensive end is in a couple of years, Booker will have filled out physically. He'll hopefully be a lot better on the defensive end. Um, but as far as this year goes, um, you know, saying that that's their best lineup is probably not saying very much. <laughs> um, I, I think Booker, you know, he, he played some three last year, and I agree that he will play more this year, especially alongside um, Bledsoe and Knight. The problem is defensively, you know, Knight often loses his man, um, you know, just off of ball screens or off the ball. Booker is going to have his problems competing with kind of the stronger guys on that end of the floor. Um, So I I feel like it's going to be one of those things where, yeah, they put up a bunch of points, but they also give up a bunch of points. Yeah, I mean, for sure, because, like, if you play that lineup against the Pacers, Paul George is going to eat Devin Booker alive. Like, Paul George is way, Carmel Anthony, way stronger than them. Like, they're stronger than most power forwards. And they're playing small forward against a, a, night, a 20-year-old. Well, he will be in a, two weeks. And but, but Devin Booker's progression has really been incredible. I mean, as someone was saying, and I agreed, it's not really the, just his shooting or his, like, maturity. He is, like, decisive and patient, which is two things that really complement each other. And they, I mean... And his ability to really slice through the defense, it's his driving and his floaters. It's really impressive at how he's able to carve through a defense more than you thought for what came out of college as a shooter only. Yeah, and, and that's that's the thing about Booker is that he's a very intelligent, very composed player. Um, and, and like you said, his maturity extends beyond you know his off-the-court persona. It's, it's very much a part of who he is as a player as well. And I, I think with that lineup in particular, that might be the success of that lineup might be as important to Knight's long-term future here in Phoenix as how willing he is to embrace the six-man role. Because I, re- I really feel like if Booker can move over to the three, then maybe there's a way where 
the three of them start next to each other in the future. But, you know, he's Booker grew like another inch over the summer. He put on a little bit of muscle. Um, but for now, it's too soon to say that Booker's a, a small forward and that's his position of the future. I think the Suns would probably prefer if Warren becomes that um, go-to guy at the three spot in the future and they can use Devin's height advantage at the two. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see that dynamic play out, especially with Knight um, saying some things and doing others as far as how he's embracing this new role. Yeah, he's a bit of an enigma. I think the weird thing, though, is that Warren's only an inch taller than Booker. Warren's like 6'8". Right. And like so, and Booker's now 6'7". I mean, Warren, I do think he's probably the better three. But if if you're, if this lineup works with Booker and Bledsoe and Knight, then that means Tucker's like totally gone because there's no way. I mean, Tucker can't, for long stretches, play the four. He just, he's like, and people keep saying, what is he listed at 6'5"? I sit next to him, and I'm like, I'm 6'7". He's 6'2". He's maybe 6'2". I mean, it's, but he is like, what, he's like two times as big as me in terms of his shoulders and stuff. But he's just not tall enough to really play the four consistently. And, I mean, Dudley's tall enough because he's, what, 6'6", 6'7", Maybe not that much, but... So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see those positional lineups for sure. There's, there's a lot of positional versatility on this roster, so Watson's going to uh, he's going to have his hands full as far as rotation goes. Even though you know we all have our ideas about what player should be playing each position. What about the whole Tyler Ulis, Lander Robosa, Archie Goodwin thing? That's a tough one because I, I feel like uh, Ulis is going to get the short end of the stick there. Um, and also Goodwin. I, f- I feel like Barbosa, you know, he was still a contributor on a 73-win team that was one win away from a championship last season. I don't think they brought him back just to be, you know, the veteran guy on the bench handing out high fives and towels. I think he's going to get some playing time, and I think his play time, playing time, uh, unfortunately for all the Archie Goodwin activists out there, I think it's going to come at his expense. Yeah, Archie Goodwin's a very interesting thing because he is—he has the tools to be a pretty good player. And his three—I was surprised I saw that in that Jazz game. He made a three that I was like, "Oh, I thought that was Warren or somebody else." Before I took a good look, and it's gotten better. Like it was broken when he came in the league, and he's really improved at it. And he is elite at getting into the lane and and at scooping, finding a way to get a layup out of something that shouldn't have been a layup, but. His defensiveness, his defensive ability, prowess is lacking, and his consistency. So it's like he should be good, but they're just—it's a guard-heavy team. Leandro Robosa is just too good to 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 lose, and Tyler Lewis is is five ten and twenty years old. So it's like, I mean, Tyler Lewis is probably a CP three kind of guy where he's well, ah, that's not a good comparison. He's CP three is too good and taller, but it's still like. Lander Robosa is going to take all those minutes. Right, and, and I, I think it's a crappy situation for Goodwin because he does have more potential than some people give him credit for. Um, but like you said, the, the defensive problems and you know not having a consistent three-point shot have really held him back in a guard-heavy rotation. 
Um, you know, we, we've seen him do some incredible things. You know, you, you think of the dunk over Jonas, Jonas Valanciunas. You think of the game-winning three against the Hawks last year. You think of, but even in the preseason, he had that game-winning dunk in Utah and that, like, 30-point comeback against Utah uh, to seal the deal. But the guy is capable of playing, and there will be a team that, there will be teams that are interested in him if the Suns put him on the trade block. It's just hard to see him having a long-term future here on a roster that has Booker, Knight, Bledsoe, Ulyss, and pretty much every other Kentucky guard who's graduated there in the last five years. Basically. I mean, that's the thing. Someone's going to take him, and he's going to do well, and it's going to have his chip on his shoulder like, no one believed in me. But it's like, who? you're not going to start over Booker, Knight, or Bledsoe, or Barbosa, so what are you complaining about? But so we'll see. It's just really interesting because he's good and he has the thing. And what is he? Twenty one now, maybe twenty two. So he's 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 still really young because we got they got him as when he was just between eighteen and nineteen. So it's it's a really interesting situation. They have a lot of pieces and. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. What do you think they're over win over under is 26.5. You think they go over? I do. I, I think, uh, you know, they only won 23 games last year and that was with Bledsoe missing, you know, more than half the season, Warren being out for a long time, Knight being out for a long time. Um, I, I think they go over. I don't think they go over by much. I have them around, you know, 30 wins or so. Um, because I, I do think it's hard to, you know, bet on this team staying healthy just the way that Bledsoe's knees have been. You know, Knight has missed nearly half of his games ever since he was traded to Phoenix. Um, and those are two, you know, majorly important players, obviously. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go around 30 wins just over. Yeah, I have him at 34 officially, but that could be a little bit high. But I just think that they... they Last year was so bad in terms of the luck or the the uh, the way it worked out that the perception is just so skewed nationally. The people who didn't like you and I, we watched all the games. Like what we missed like two during the whole year, but it's like we saw the games. We know how they played and what we saw when they're being uncreative. Earl Watson has time and the right culture and healthy players. And they're they're going to be better than people think. They may not. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're not going to be crazy. I mean, there's a scenario where they do, but it's not a likely one. It's and 34 is about where I'm thinking they're going to land, just because they have so much talent and the perception is just so off about them. Right, and and it's important to remember, you know, heading into 2013-14, they were projected to win even fewer games than they are this year, and they went out and won 48 which this season would have been good for like a top four seed in the West. Yeah, like six, five, six, something like that. Really, the most ha- the happiest thing about this next year is that I know that they won't play games without a point guard. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, Fingers crossed that the injury luck from last year doesn't extend to this year. I think ball handlers include Booker, Knight, Bledsoe, Barbosa, and Ulis. And... I mean, those what was it five games without a without a point guard were just absolutely brutal to watch. Yep. But uh, it'll be better this year. Uh, any other final thoughts on the Suns and this year going into? Um, 
you know, I, I think the biggest thing to preach this year is patience because this team might be, you know, infuriating in the way that they straddle the line between looking really good and, you know, keeping in mind that this team is playing for the future. You know, we're, they're not... <laughs> I, I, I saw a lot of people that were listing the Suns as with those Lamarcus Aldridge rumors the other day. Um, and while they were interested in him in free agency a year ago, um, that ship has kind of sailed. It's, it's really time for this team to invest in its future in a way that they haven't done since, you know, Steve Nash left. It's, it's time to kind of invest in the long term. And, you know, it, it makes sense. Let the Spurs and the Warriors and the Cavs juggernauts do get out for now and lay claim to the future. Yeah, there's a big difference between getting somebody in free agency and trading for them, your assets that you have. Especially, you don't, like I said, you want to be trading with the Kings and the Knicks, and you don't want to be trading with the Spurs. <laughs> right. So, yeah. The Spurs are probably doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, I just asked the Pacers. Because, um, I mean, can you believe that Kawhi Leonard wasn't drafted by them? Like, it, like someone actually traded They're like, ah, Kawhi Leonard, no big deal. I mean, Robert Sarver's like, oh yeah, he uh, was sweating during his interview. Let's just not, let's just pass on him. Yeah, that's a rough one. That's, uh, considering they took Marquise Morris in that draft, that was uh, one they would like to have back. Yeah. What if, what if, what if. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me, Gerald. Um, why don't you plug your handle and everything that you got going on? Yeah, sure. It's uh, you can find all my work on hoopshabit.com, and then uh, my Twitter is my full name: G E R A L D B O U R G U E T. And so I will be. I'm on Twitter at Eric underscore Sar. I've got a big piece on the Warriors and Death lineup coming out in the next day or so, and then we got Prediction Central. We got a couple of predictions with Gerald and I today, and then we've got a podcast every week. So check back in. Thanks for joining us. Have a great night.